0: Fight back, Wildcat, read all about it, get your challenge here. Challenge the Communist paper, that's right, the Communist paper. Fight back, can't read all about it, get your challenge here. Now all across this country, work as find together.
1: March now, read up all Welcome to Challenge Radio, the official podcast of Progressive Labor Party. Today we have a reading from the most recent issue of Challenge Smashing Racism is a Pillar of Communism, followed by a brief discussion about the importance of the anti-racist struggle in liberating the entire working class. Thank you.
2: Smashing Racism is a Pillar of Communism. In 1964, the Young Progressive Labor Movement played a lead role in the historic Harlem Rebellion, the first Black-led urban uprising of the era against police terror. On July 16th, an off-duty cop, Lieutenant Thomas Gilligan, shot and murdered James Powell, a 15-year-old, 122-pound ninth grader in cold blood. For six consecutive nights, the anger of the Black masses boiled over in open rebellion in Central Harlem and then in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. The Harlem Rebellion of 1964 raised the fight against racist oppression to a new level, while exposing the class treason of Black reformist leadership. After Harlem, more than 100 cities in the U.S. felt the torch of rebellion. PL's leadership in this struggle set the tone for our unceasing fight against racism. From the 1970s to the current day, PLers have organized hundreds of attacks on the Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazis wherever they spread their racist garbage. Rejecting the pacifist mythology that these gutter races would fade away if ignored, we have attacked them head on and confronted the capitalist cops who protect them. We have mounted these anti-racist, multiracial actions in New York City, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Detroit, and St. Louis. We've done the same in smaller communities like Tupelo, Mississippi, Scotland, Connecticut, Jamesburg and Morristown, New Jersey, and scores of cities and towns in California. We invaded the Nazis' headquarters in Chicago. We beat a white supremacist leader in a Boston television interview. These militant anti KKK Nazi actions have involved an estimated 100,000 or more workers and youth. On May Day, 1975, we mobilized 2,500 anti-racists in Boston to march against the segregationist terrorist organization called ROAR, Restore Our Alienated Rights, accurately nicknamed Racist on a Rampage. When they physically attacked us, we routed them. We subsequently organized a summer project to combat ROAR's mob violence and its anti-busing racism. We integrated formerly all-white beaches, held anti-racist summer schools for Black children, and rallied to escort Black children into their first day of integrating formerly all-white schools. Our efforts smashed roar. On May Day in 1976, we marched into Chicago's Marquette Park, where Nazis had barred Black people. We integrated that neighborhood. Simultaneously, PLP exposed academic charlatans like E. O. Wilson, Richard Hurstein, and Arthur Jensen, who spewed racist filth about the quote unquote inferiority of black workers and the Nazi fantasy that unemployment was inherited in their genes. We mobilized demonstrations wherever these racists appeared, chased them off auditorium stages, and even poured a pitcher of water over Wilson's head in the middle of a lecture. Our member called out, Wilson, You're all wet. PL's position was clear and uncompromising. No free speech for racists. Throughout this period, PLP helped organize the International Committee Against Racism, NCAR, and mass anti-racist multiracial group that led many of these struggles. In Southern California, our party has organized against the anti-immigrant Minutemen, We have gone to border towns to fight racist attacks on immigrant workers from Mexico, rallying support from citizen workers around the slogan, Smash All Borders. In 2015, PLP advanced the protests against the cops' murder of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. We raised our slogan, Fight Like Ferguson, among thousands across the country. Our party was building a movement for rebellion against racist police terror, not pacifist appeals to ruling class officials from then-President Barack Obama's Justice Department on down. We were doing the same in solidarity with workers and youth in Baltimore who were outraged by the cops' murder of Freddie Gray. More recently, PLers have taken to the streets before, during, and after the COVID-19 pandemic, from Brooklyn to Chicago to Los Angeles, to protest the police murders of Black women, men, and youth by racist cops. Anti-racism on the shop floor. PLP has constantly raised the issue of racism among organized workers to unite them against the boss's racist attacks. In 1973, when a New York City Police Department undercover cop shot a Black 10-year-old in the back in Queens, a PLP club at the Ford Auto Plant in Mahwah, New Jersey, brought the atrocity into the factory assembly line. Our party petitioned the do-nothing union local leadership to take a public stance and demand that the cop be indicted for murder. The workers' response was electric. They were galvanized into action during the contract struggle that previously had been limited to economic issues. Their heightened political consciousness and militancy led to a week-long wildcat strike against 100-degree temperatures in the plant, which in turn set the tone for the Chrysler-Mack Avenue sit-down strike two months later. Beginning in the 1980s, PLP has provided anti-racist leadership to 6,000 Washington, D.C. metro transit workers. At one point, the locals' overwhelmingly Black membership elected a white P.L.R. as their president, defeating a passive Black incumbent. As Metro bosses exclude people convicted of crimes by the ruler's criminal injustice system, they close one of the few avenues for many Black workers to obtain a decent-paying job. PLP has demanded that the union oppose racist background checks. Many workers have been won to our party in this anti-racist fight fighting racism internationally. PL is still small but mighty and connected across the U.S., Latin America, South Asia, and East Africa. Ever since the aftermath of the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, with tens of thousands still living in tents, we have spread the struggle against U.S. imperialism and racism, which have enslaved workers there for two centuries. In Colombia, comrades are putting Black workers are key to revolution into practice by organizing among Black workers and fighting against imperialism. In Israel-Palestine, PLers exposed and fought the intense racism of the Israeli bosses with U.S. ruling class support against workers from Africa and Palestine who are victims of super-exploitation. We are also organizing workers against the Israeli ruler's mass evictions of villages inhabited by Palestinians. In Pakistan, PLers are mobilizing thousands of workers to fight racist super-exploitation and against floods. In the past, the bosses have slaughtered thousands in sweatshops in in Obama's drone attacks. These are only a few highlights of PL's long fight against racism the ideological foundation of the profit system. The struggle against racism will prepare our class to overthrow capitalism and obliterate exploitation and divisions among workers. It is the watchword of our party. Hello, everybody. Uh, We are here together again. Welcome to Challenge Radio, the conversation about communism, fighting for communism, members of Progressive Labor Party, sharing information that is in our paper, Challenge newspaper. If you don't get it, definitely get it. PLP.org is where you can find it. And we're here to have pretty great conversation about some things that are affecting all of us, comrades. How are you?
3: Feeling good. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm great. I'm just sick and tired of capitalism.
2: <laughs> that says it I,
1: on. I, I, too, I too am sick of capitalism. Yes.
2: Show over. Show over. <laughs>
1: it's trash. Dumpster fire.
2: All the way. And that, that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about uh, how we experience capitalism. We're talking about what we see as a viable alternative, which is communism, which has a lot to do, that conversation has a lot to do about uh, how we're mistaught about communism and how we're lied to continually about uh, the, the greatness of capitalism, which in, in conversation people can see is, is just not true. So what we're talking about today uh, is an article in Challenge, our, our amazing newspaper called Smashing Racism is a Pillar of Communism. We're going to be giving some talking points and some opinions about what that means. The article itself is great. If you haven't read it, go to plp.org and take a look at it. And and we're going to be talking about not just our opinions, but our experiences. I think that's what's important when we're talking about these things. So, So let's kick it off, everybody. I think when we're talking about capitalism and the dangers and the attacks of capitalism and the fact that we want something else and putting racism anywhere in it, we have to combine the two. We have to talk about how they are connected. So let's start with that. How, how, how is racism? How do you all think that racism is foundational to capitalism?
3: Well, I mean, historically, I, if we want to start with the origin, it was, was profit that moved the slave ships and uh, you know provided a lot of the constant capital for the origins of capitalism. Um, it also divides the workers because, I mean, if if you took away racism, sexism, credentialism, and all of these divisions, we would just realize this: we're all being exploited. There's no reason to be paid significantly more than anybody else. It's a division that obfuscates exploitation. Your boss is profiting off of you. That's one of the many ways that racism is a motor for for capitalism.
1: Yeah. And I think you know, speaking to the historical dimension, it was definitely, you know, a response of the early capitalist bosses in uh, the colonial United States, because, you know, based on that common exploitation, there were workers, enslaved persons, indentured servants that saw a commonality in that oppression, and exploitation, and that, you know, that that class society in the early colonial United States and were organizing to find it. They were intermingling. They were, there was a sense of commonality. And the bosses really saw the threat based on rebellions that started taking place, you know, very early on in that, that colonial experiment. Yeah, they, they saw the need to stamp it out because it was a threat to their power and their, their profits in the early system.
2: For sure, for sure. And I think it's important to say too that if we're talking about these earlier times, the way that that racism was put together to to identify this population of people to make to make profits from. Africans weren't the first ones. You already had this profit stream in Europe of people declassifying people right there in that area just to make money from them. And then coming to this continent and, and again, you know, declassifying and dehumanizing Native people all over it. And, and really finally finding a, a, a niche of profitability with folks from farther away. We see racism... Being formatted, we see racism being 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 perfected to finally work, and they had to. You know, it took a long time to convince other poor folks from all over all, all other different countries it took a, took a while to convince them that this group of people were were barely people, that what they were doing to them was something that should be thought of as natural, and the, again, the foundation of that being profit, I think, is really important. So continuing on, how or why is fighting racism related to what we feel will free all of us, uh, which is pushing for communism? And when we're talking about racism, as we'll talk about later, where we're not talking about the attack of of just one group, we're talking about uh, an attack that has gone global. Anti-racism, specifically anti-Black racism, has been the basis for continual global oppression right? And if we're looking at it globally, it's, it's an advancement of oppression that was already happening. But coming back to the question, how or why is fighting racism related to pushing communism? Part of it is understanding that
3: if, if we were to right the wrongs of racism, if that's even possible, but even to try to do that, you would have to destroy capitalism. You have to destroy this economic system uh, because, you know, a lot of the basis of, of this society is uh, you know, part of the fabric of this society is inheritance. Is the prison industrial complex, and how um, the prison industrial complex creates a symbiotic relationship with racism? How they profit off of like capturing people and enslaving them in in the prison industrial complex.
2: Give us a real, give us a real quick
3: explanation of what you mean by prison industrial complex. Basically, the people who own the prisons use prison labor, they contract prison labor out to different companies. Um, so you have you have two phenomena, really. You have private prisons, which are like 10% of prisons, and they just get contracts from the state, and they foster certain laws to imprison more people, like anti-drug laws, laws that they know will disproportionately affect certain populations, you know, imprison more people. Um, but then on the other side, you have public prisons, that they contract their labor out to companies like Starbucks, to Victoria's Secret, to make different commodities like underwear and, and cups and stuff like that. And it's, it's it's a form of slave labor. There's a direct, if you watch the, the documentary 13th, it's talked a lot about this, but there's a direct uh, lineage, historical lineage between the prison industrial complex and chattel slavery. Absolutely I, and, you know, like when we see the war on drugs, for instance, that was started by Nixon, it was explicitly started to attack black people and the left, um, like hippies and stuff like that. So there's a, there's a political component to it. There's a, an economic component to it. I mean, obviously, the economics is the most important, you know, and obviously, there's a racist component to it, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Comrade, any, any, any further thoughts about that?
3: Yeah,
1: I, all, all I would really add is, you know, we as workers, we can't be free. None of us can be free, at, you know, as, as members of this international working class until we're all free. And, you know, if we're talking about working class liberation, we have but no choice really to fight against the, the, the cutting edge of capitalism in order to destroy this profit-based class system that uses... Racist attacks, discrimination, this legacy that Comrade's referring to so effectively to hold us all down and hold back the wheel of history. And, you know, as communists, we have to wage that struggle. If we're really talking about building a society without borders, a society without social and economic classes, you know, an egalitarian society, uh, we need to be fighting that head-on, this racism that, that permeates every dimension of their system.
2: I think bringing the article back into it, when we look at how racism has been used to scare the wider population, to make people feel like, well, I'm glad nothing's happened to me, so that must mean I'm doing something right, which means this other population of people who seem to be continually attacked by the police must be doing something wrong. I think that tying that to the profit motive that you all have talked about, tying that to the profit motive, is very important. I think it's very important to to identify that when we're talking about capitalism, we're talking about all of these oppressions, all of these these terroristic acts, all of this these murderous, planned, justified, murderous reactions to people as being the basis of profit, being the basis. Of, of these capitalists making money. And I think that's so important. So when we talk about that, we're talking about the opposite of it too, which is pushing for communism, which is something that is mistaught, which is something that is lied about, which is something that is presented over and over and over again uh, with untruths to also scare people, right? And and it's it's the same type of fear, you know, to believe that capitalism is the best we can do don't even think about communism. So when we talk about fighting racism, I think that that the most natural thing we have to continue to talk about is the system under which it is the most profitable, and that's capitalism. And when we're talking about fighting capitalism, we can't be talking about a halfway of doing it that still includes it. We have to talk about, in terms of history, communism, the thing that is Obviously, against capitalism in just about every way. Comrade, did you want to give another word? Maybe I just want to quickly synthesize or see what we were
3: saying is basically that if capitalism, in order to profit the most, they have to divide the workers and be racist, that communism is about we need to unify all workers.
2: In, in- Absolutely. You unify all workers against the racism, against the sexism, against the nationalism, against all of that. Uh-huh. And racism being, I believe, at the core of all those other things too.
1: Yeah. Under communism, we have no benefit to those divisions. Mm. We actively fight to abolish them.
3: I think it's important to realize that a lot of these divisions are are horrific and and can destroy organizations. Like, you know, homophobia or sexism, you know, you often have these horrific sexual harassment scandals that will destroy organizations. Mm. But like racism will prevent people from even talking to one another. You can't even have to start a union on that on that basis or even organizing it at all because people are afraid, which is such a profound tragedy. I mean, one last thing that I wanted to say of why racism is so foundational to capitalism is because it it has the workers compete for lower wages with each other. And you have these crumbs that are sliced constantly being sliced in, in we're fighting for these crumbs, and you know, you have have one group that is constantly paid lower than another. In this case, uh, you know, black and brown comrades, and a, one group is being paid lower than than the other. Then, the the group that's paid more has to lower their wages to to remain competitive. This is called the wage spiral, and this happens also with sexism. It happens with uh, citizens and non citizens, etc. It creates a lot of profits for the bosses.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so I think we've we done a good job of, of being very parallel with the, with the article in terms of talking about uh, the, the effects of this. And the next thing that I have is to talk about how we take action against racism, how we take action in terms of normalizing it in so many aspects of our lives after that (laughs) I just want to say after that talking about how action has been taken and and as communists how we see that but first of all talking about what what are our thoughts in terms of taking action against all of the normalization of racism in particular which absolutely includes the normalization of of these other isms.
1: I think um, two ways of approaching anti-racist struggle kind of come to mind, especially based on my experience within the party. I, I think, you know, many times there has been, you know, just mass uprisings and mass rebellions, 2014, 2015, across the United States, 2020, I mean, damn across the world. And I think in those situations, it's very important that we go as a very bold and militant contingent, explicitly of communists from progressive labor party, and fighting for the most revolutionary line, you know, rejecting the appeals from the liberals to try to douse the fire, douse the anti-racist, righteous rage that's taking place. So I think, you know, and we've done that. I think the article really highlights a lot of those things that we've done historically and still trying to deal with the present day. And I think at our at our jobs, at our workplaces, where we're at, stimulate anti-racist struggle on the job. And, you know, if there's wage differentials, if there's, you know, sexist mistreatment. You know, finding ways to mobilize our coworkers and our neighbors, classmates into campaigns to really approach and confront the bosses about, you know, this racist mistreatment and build that way. And then with the idea of eventually really throwing a wrench in the boss's profits and, and, and making those connections to how the system operates foundationally on racism.
3: For me, it's not just about ideation or ideas, you know, because a lot of times I think liberals will try to reduce it to like trying to change how you think, you know, that's not, of course, that's very important that we don't want to like have this bigoted ideation, but that reduces it to individuals. I mean, you know, part of it is about attacking, you know, the Klan. It's like attacking like racist institutions and organizations, which... The PLP has historically done. We we continue to do, and we need to do even more. You know, eventually, you know, like uh, destroying capitalism. I mean, ultimately, a lot of racism comes from things like inheritance, or as I was saying, industrial uh, the prison industrial complex, this profit system that constantly fuels this this horrible bigotry. So it's it's not just about whether, you know, the specific ideas of people, it's it's about these overarching structures that we need to attack that at its root are economic.
2: I agree with what you're saying in terms of it's, if it not being just about that, but I do think that there's something to say about, you know, how, how most people are one or have been one to the party, and that is based on individual relationships. So I hear what you're saying, that it can't be just one, it has to be the other two. I definitely agree with that. Every day, I have an interaction with someone who I'm personally trying to win—you know—closer. Uh, different folks that I'm personally trying to win closer, and it it does come down to to their experiences. It does come down to how they're influenced by ruling class media, especially uh, for people who live in in smaller cities and towns, right next to bigger cities and towns. There there's a there's a racialized, a racist fear. Even, even within, you know, quote unquote racial groups, there's a racialized fear about people that will keep people from even crossing a border of a city or town because of quote unquote those people. And so I think that that's, that's where we strengthen our lines. That's where we strengthen our conversations is with our individual connections with people. And, and the strength that we grow in that and the numbers that we grow I think that's what we're taking to the, to the systemic strikes. I think that's what we're taking to the systemic fights against these isms, but specifically talking about racism, which includes all of these other things. I think that definitely I hear that it can't just be this one individualistic posting on social media and not action. I think the action, right, the the large action has to take place too, absolutely. Moving forward, just looking at, Going from what we feel is that more militarized approach, will we talk about the role of racism under capitalism? How are some of the ways that people feel that these anti-Black, anti-Latin racism is used to blind all of us under capitalism? And I guess another way to say that is specifically looking at the boss's primary tool of anti-Black, anti-Latin racism. How does it affect other people? How does it affect people internationally, too? That question we talked about earlier. How does it affect us where we are, no matter where we are? How does that anti-Black, anti-Latin racism affect us where we are? But also, how do we see that race-based control affecting workers in other countries?
3: Yeah, loud and clear. I mean, okay, (laughs) okay. because of American imperialism, we are constant, I I shouldn't say we, we you know these monsters, the
2: ruling class, are not. That's right. Get it right. Don't 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 say, don't, don't take the blame.
3: We <laughs> yeah, you're not not them. The the capitalists are constantly orchestrating terrorism around the world and bombing people in the third world and waging horrific war. And you know we should we should think about you know a bombing that goes off in Kabul or Baghdad or you know Mogadishu as the same as a bombing that goes off in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, or in Asheville, North Carolina, or or Chicago.
2: These know? chemical attacks. These yeah. chemical attacks are bombs that are going off on our class all over. Yeah. And I think a lot of times,
3: a lot of politicians that are, uh, you know, social Democrats, these these rats, you know, like Bernie Sanders and, and um, the squad, they'll support the afghan war or they'll support this horrific
2: imperialist policies like hr 21 in venezuela yeah you know these these chemical factories killing people yes yeah yeah and and so it's it's one of those things
3: where if, if we had true class solidarity if we understood that like you know if we increase the wages here they'll go somewhere else you know so we need to fight globally or the fact that like they're constantly attacking the working class everywhere we'd understand how the state is not for us as workers. It's for the capitalists. It's for their profits. It's for their bomb-making factories and their like pharmaceutical companies, etc., cetera, et cetera. It's not for the workers. Yeah, racism obfuscates the class nature of the state because if we truly understood that we had solidarity uh, with our comrades in Kabul or Mogadishu, then we wouldn't support these uh, shitty politicians.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: You know, it's a a way to, you you set such a miserable floor for so many workers around the world, right? You know, our class sisters and brothers, our class siblings, and, you know, here in the United States and then beyond. Like, we see it happening within the borders of the United States and without, like, just someone to point to, someone of the bosses to point to even though not necessarily doing it in the most outwardly malicious way, but just saying like, just be thankful. You're not those individuals, those workers experiencing that, even though we're all still experiencing so much alienation, exploitation and oppression. So it's such a, such a low bar that they set, but if they can just show us a bar, that's a few millimeters nanometers above that other bar. Yes. Then people can be one and, and, and seemingly be, Be thankful to treatment and an existence under capitalism that is really miserable and alienating. We're capable of doing so much better.
2: Right. Not being the worst is still something that allows a whole lot of people to take so much crap, to accept so much suffering, as long as as they can be talked into believing their suffering is not as bad as somebody else's suffering, who, by the way, deserves it. Uh, I, th- I think, I think we, we see that in terms of uh, uh, Israeli politics all the time uh, with, with the amount of torture that people who are experiencing a heck of an amount of torture are giving out to folks from Africa, are giving out to, 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 to workers who, who, are, who are providing services to those who are just a little, little bit higher, a little bit higher on the scope. And again, it's it's nobody wants to be the worst. But under capitalism, we're all guaranteed to be the worst. We're all guaranteed to be the worst under an international ruling class who is just using us consistently through our labor, through our service, through our death to make life better, easier, and more profitable for them. I think that's that's so important. And I think looking at the international tool of anti-Black racism in particular, and 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 how it's it's a copy of, of of all of these other types of of racial ethnic oppressions, but it's it's one that's known. You can't go to many other countries where where anti-black racism is not at the root, because again, nobody wants to be the worst. When we look at at, at these workers that are fleeing other countries because of, of their capitalist dictators. They're fleeing other countries. And, and one thing that one, one common thread that they have is even though they are suffering, at least they're not the worst. And, and, you know, there's there's no doubt of who the worst is. But what we're saying as a party, the worst is absolutely those who caused this. The worst is absolutely the international imperialist class. They are the worst. So we should hit up the some last comments. I think that the 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 article was was spectacular in terms of showing the history of our ideas and our actions. And that action is the very important part. And the fact that that's still going on, our anti-racist, anti-capitalist, pro-working class, pro-internationalist actions are how we believe that we're going to win our freedom. So comrades, uh, closing ideas about it.
1: I would just say that, you know, the moment progressive labor party ceases to be a a fighting anti-racist, anti-sexist, internationalist party is the moment we cease to exist, and rightfully
3: so. For sure, for sure. Comrade? I think ultimately we need to emphasize the importance of a united working class. You know, it is we who create the, the things in this world and the bosses profit off of our labor. Absolutely. And everything else is a distraction used against the worker. So that's what I would say. And that's th- there's nothing more clear about that obfuscation than racism. i mean, racism is a is such a clear obfuscation from that.
2: Absolutely, thank you. Appreciate your comrades for participating in the conversation. Everybody, if you if you're if you loved what you heard tonight, if you are reading the article, please please feel free to go to our social media on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram at PLP Challenge comment and we we have to talk about this. We have to we have to put this out. We have to make this part of our our this this political conversation part of our personal interaction with each other. And we have to grow the the line that those of us in Progressive Labor Party agree to and are fighting for in that what we're doing is trying to free our class internationally from all of the horrors of capitalism. And, and the way that we want to do that is is to push the, the freeing aspects of communism. And if anybody wants to participate in terms of comments on social media, please do so. Thank you, comrades. Appreciate you joining us. And this has been another great episode of the Challenge Radio. We'll do it again. You guys take care.
3: Thank you. Keep fighting.
2: Dare to struggle, dare to win.
0: Fight back, wildcat, read all about it. Get your challenge here. Challenge the communist paper. That's right, the communist paper. You shall want smash the bosses, get your challenge here. Challenge the Communist Paper, that's right, the Communist Paper, fight that pocket, read all about it, get your challenge here. Take heed, you foster bankers, take heed, you parasites, we will tear you into pieces. Workers of the world unite, challenge the Communist Paper, that's right, the Communist Paper,